Hey everyone, this is your host, Guns, and welcome to another episode of Startup Conversations, View from the CTO, a collaboration between Seedtable and Circle CI, where we sit down with some of the greatest CTOs in Europe to deconstruct how to build and operate high-performing technology teams. My guest today is Arseni Verschenen. Arseni is the co-founder and CTO of Presonio, Europe's leading HR platform for small and medium-sized businesses. Before starting Presonio, Arseni co-founded Nuclinio, the team collaboration tool, and was an iOS developer for a mobile in-demand fitness startup. Arseni's story growing Presonio from a co-founder team to almost 900 employees is a wild one. So it goes without saying that this conversation didn't disappoint. We covered many topics, including how the role of the CTO changes when you grow from a small startup to a 900 employee team, Arsenis' thoughts around career development for his engineering teams, and why that includes a 1500 euro development stipend, how Arsenis measures his software team's productivity, starting with how happy the individual team members are, and much, much more. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Arseni, welcome to the podcast. I'm super excited about this conversation. I'm a big fan of Personia, so here we are. Awesome, and super happy to be here. Um, yeah, super happy to talk about some of the challenges and things that we experience at Personio. Hopefully uh, useful for, for your audience. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Looking forward to it. But before getting into Personia, I'd love to get into you. Like, What's the two-minute version of Arseni? Let's start with that, sort of set some context for the audience. Sure, happy to do so. Yeah, as uh, you pronounced my name correctly, my name is Arseni. <laughs> I'm a Chief Technology Officer and Co-Founder. We are building a holistic HR platform for small and medium-sized companies in Europe with the goal to enable to be better organizations through automation, making sure that the HR people are focusing on us people rather than routinous tasks. Super shortly about my background. So I come from a small uh, Siberian city deep in Russia. And uh, that's where I developed passion for programming, for computers. So I studied then afterwards in Moscow and got in touch with the local startup scene, worked with some startups there. That was a sort of a christening into the startup world for me. It was a great experience, uh, learned some great people. But I wanted to actually work in a more internationally diverse environment. So that's uh, where the road took me to Germany to continue my studying. So I got into Technical University uh, of Munich here, and also this program called CDTM or Center for Digital Technology and Management. A lot of great people uh, who I got to know from that program, including my co-founder, Hanon Roman. And uh, yeah, in 2015, when we finished with the program, we decided to unite forces together to build Personio. And since then, uh, it's been an amazing ride, a crazy fast scaling journey uh, as fast as it gets. And I'm happy to be, yeah, happy to be contributing to the technology vision, to the architecture and working with our awesome teams on making this uh, great company and a great... I bet it was a crazy ride from starting in 2015 to racing a big Series D earlier this year in January. What I'm very curious about is how, how do you think your role as a CTO started and how it changed over time? Right now, you are about 900 people on the team, if I'm correct. Close, close. Yeah, it's a, we're close to that. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's, a, it's a great question. As, uh, as you know, my 
I think I experienced probably a, a pretty wild ride in terms of starting as a as a founding uh, member and coding on the first sort of prototypes, lines of code, down to now managing together with our VP Engineering Sebastian a pretty sizable team. I think overall, as you very correctly, I think, underlining your question, the role of the CTO uh, throughout those periods of time uh, changes uh, uh, radically. So I think the common denominator to this role is that I think a CTO should really focus on enable the organization, whatever this organization is, in whichever the phase um, of existence it is, to resolve the most important and strategic business problems with the help of technology, either directly or indirectly. So if we talk about the, the initial phases of the um, company founding, this happens directly. So the most important task that a CTO, together with a founding team, obviously has is to create an MVP. So to basically prove that the uh, model, that the idea hypothesis actually has traction in the market. And then I think the role shifts into making sure that you have a well-running uh, team to make sure that this product that hopefully found initial traction on the market actually is able to scale reliably, securely, performantly, addressing the most important customer needs. And then at the later stages of company development, I think it's it depends on what a particular CTO uh, wants to focus on and what a particular sets of business challenges are. So what I, for instance, right now focus on and what my mission is, is to establish a compelling technology vision and architecture, which enables us to develop the first-in-class product, but also to hire uh, the best technology talent. Uh, for such a thoughtful answer, I want to double click on one thing you just said, which is hiring the top technology talent on the market. So. You have um, four offices right now. You're starting in Munich. You're opening one in, in Amsterdam. Uh, but now the sort of the world or the talent markets are going global, uh, especially with, with COVID and all the new software that's been built around that. So how do you think about this problem? What do you think it takes to recruit and retain talent in a world where COVID made talent markets global? I think for us personally as a company, the global talent recruitment has always been a priority from the get-go. So that's why our talent acquisition strategy has not changed significantly under the influence of COVID, as we have been recruiting everyone from Brazil to Europe to Asia, starting from the first year of us starting to search for a team and hiring for the engineers. In fact, our first engineers, uh, which still work with us, come from Vietnam, right? So it uh, just shows how global the talent already is, right? I think there's two particular developments, however, that I can talk to. First one is that on the recruitment side, there's two major uh, developments that are underlining the market. Firstly, it's uh, both the demand from the talent for more flexible and remote-friendly working options, right? And secondly, which is more particular for the uh, pandemic period, is that in certain regions, it became hard to actually get talent from their countries to whatever the location that they actually prefer uh, to go. So for instance, we experienced major problems in uh, relocation projects from Latin America in certain cases as embassies got closed down and so on, right? But that trigger even more of the need for us to actually embrace the remote strategy. So overall, in that particular aspect, 
we started the pandemic with making sure that our employees are as best prepared for a long remote period as possible with grassroots efforts such as the home office task force. So the set of employees who wanted to think about what's the best possible experience we can offer to our colleagues, whatever the equipment maybe they're missing to actually make sure that their offices, their home offices are can be actual home offices rather uh, than some corner in a uh, at a lunch table and now actually past this pandemic uh, is over or soon hopefully to be over we are offering what we call personio flex so this is possibility for employees up to 50% of time to work remotely not basically tied to one of the offices so on, on to a particular location, but overall globally in the world. We recently also released an article about that. So feel free to also, whoever is listening to the podcast and interesting to read about the details of how we implemented that. But overall, I think that's the the, the, the sort of the major uh, developments that on the recruitment side and also on the internal talent uh, side that uh, we have undertook. Uh, that's that's super uh, super interesting. How how you've been able to just weather the pandemic and now sort of build strengths on, on top of that. What I'm curious about is, what are some of the core traits or personality traits they look for in new hires? Not the sort of the hard skills, but from everything I've been able to to read and sort of conversations I've had, the sort of the personio culture is is a huge reason why why people join the company. That's a great question, and uh, you are absolutely right. Hard skills are definitely the baseline at which we look for during our recruitment process, and they differ from role to role. But as you mentioned, what is absolutely critical for us is the alignment with our cultural values. And here uh, we have a written down and very well lived through what we call personio code. This is the set of operating principles and core values, where operating principles for us are the behaviors we really care about in our people, in our talent, and we both foster those behaviors for the talent that is already there in the organization and developing our talent along the lines of this operating principles, but also look for those traits in the in the new recruitees. And uh, we also have the core values. So those are the some of the things that we really aspire to be as a company. So talking about operating principles, since that more aligns uh, with the question I think that you asked, I can give you some examples. For instance, we're looking for a uh, high level of diligence, right? So overall, um, um, Hanno, our CEO, likes to compare the teams that we built to a, a sports teams, right? So it's a very, it's a very aligned and a very, very highly performant uh, set of individuals who work towards the same goal, right? But at the same time, who have fun on their way, right? And I think that's for us is a super important characters, character traits to test for, right? So again, high level of professionalism, being diligent, having a solution to a problems mindset. We're still scaling extremely quickly. Even by the end of this year, we'll grow our engineering organization and the overall company by approximately 2x. So we'll double from the time of when we started the year. And that means that there is a lot of things, a lot of challenges that will arise and that we will need to be resolved. And that's why we encourage all the people to really challenge the status quo, bring in the best experiences that they learn about outside to the company and really start thinking about implementing them. There are some other traits such as communication is key or also seeking to improve also personally that we look for. Again, all those things are wrapped up nicely into personio code and we check for them in all phases of the recruiting process. So there's this saying that every time a, comp a company doubles in size, everything breaks. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I've definitely experienced some of that. So I'm very curious, 
how do you plan to evolve and optimize some of these principles over the next like 12 or 18 months? Yeah. We, in fact, we've been just recently through one of those waves of optimizations that uh, or um, tweak tweaking of the Personio code that resulted in the current version of it. So that's why I think the next over the next years, we will obviously regularly look at it. But I believe that at the moment, uh, it actually constitutes a pretty stable set of values and operating principles. What I think will happen over the course of the next months is us, firstly, using the opportunity to really meet together and really discuss and work on the culture also in person. So that's why I'm super excited to, again, be at the time when the offices could be open up. In fact, we're planning also a massive amount of get-togethers, uh, probably closer to September. With all of our teams, we'll be able to fly them together and then both talk about our culture, about how we can live it together. Also, there is more things that we are planning, again, on the cultural side, such as the company hackathon that is happening over the course of the next month and will take the whole week, actually, which I'm also personally very excited about. So it's just one of those things that fosters, uh, again, people getting together, applying their solutions over problems mindset, having fun. So hits all kinds of all points on our Personio code and our culture. And uh, I'm just happy to leave the, this Personio code in more of a in personal environment over the next month. That, that's incredible. So you're saying you're going to take a week or the entire sort of team is going to take a week off, quote unquote, off to work on this hackathon together in person. How, how did yeah. you sort of came to that decision? Because it's, it's really unique. I, I think I think by now we see that there is overall, it, it's, a, it's a pretty common practice in the industry. And um, this time we'll see if, how much it can happen in person. I think August is still going to be a bit of a challenging time. So this one is likely still going to be in a hybrid mode. But the tradition of the company hackathons, in fact, started with a proposal of one of our employees who has seen how successful this concept can be. And uh, she worked with us to make it uh, a reality, make it a first hackathon, which was back then limited to only product and engineering teams and departments. However, we saw that how many awesome ideas really came out of it. And a lot of them actually made it into production, into the day-to-day -day experiences that our customers have, that we wanted to scale this idea further out. And uh, in the next iteration, it was already, I think it was a couple of days where all of the company took time to actually collaborate and uh, solve some of the both day-to-day -day challenges, but also things that, yeah, that they saw long-term customers might experience. And by now we are, we scale this idea even more and uh, it's going to be, uh, yeah, this week where uh, we uh, all together in the uh, new setup also collaborate on this. And also one more thing that I think is interesting is during the, even the pandemic time. So the last hackathon we had of, of that proportion was uh, last August, I think it was still very deep in the pandemic. We still decided to do it and we did it completely remotely, which was a great test <laughs> to our collaboration abilities. And I think it was extremely well. So I'm happy that again, applying our solutions over minds, over problems, operating principle, we were able to overcome this challenging situation and came out in an extremely fun and productive event for everyone. That's incredible. I, I definitely wasn't expecting that when I came into this this conversation. Something I'm, I'm very interested in is team development. So I know you have about a 1,500 euro annual, annual development budget for sort of each uh, employee. So I'd love to know a bit more how you think about that. But also something that's very sort of unique to engineering teams is career development. So I would also love to sort of double click on how you think about career tracks for your different tech teams. 
Yeah, and that's a great question. Overall, on the principal level, when developing our career uh, path or career framework, it was essential for us that growth of expert individual contributors in this career track is considered as much as the managerial growth. I think that's really the key because we would love to see great engineers to actually do what they love, which is engineering in a lot of cases. And obviously we also enable people if they want to, to grow into managerial track. But since our individual contributor track is so much developed and aligned in terms of the growth progression, that's where a lot of engineers prefer also to stay uh, on this expert track. So that's an overarching principle that we took into the uh, uh, career framework development. And I think by now there's been several iterations uh, of this. In fact, we introduced more roles, more levels with various also types of impact as you classically would do as the organization scales. And uh, we rework it or uh, adjust it almost every half a year to a year to reflect both the type of talent and behaviors we want to see in our teams and also to reflect on the uh, scale and growth that we experience as an engineering and the company organization in general. That, that's great. I often see technology companies sort of disregarding this idea of an IC being as sort of as an equal to manager. Like the, everyone thinks of like managing as a default path for sort of ambitious employees who want to level up. But it's great that you're thinking uh, about this equally. It's definitely important, to, uh, I think, to contribute uh, to this uh, thinking pattern. We see that I think it's a pretty common way to think about it in, um, in the Valley or in the U.S. startups. And uh, that's why, yeah, we would love to see more of that also happening in Europe, where I think overall, from what we see on the, from the market, this mindset is uh, a bit missing. And I think, it's, I think it's a huge miss because those are extremely talented people who, who can contribute with the major impact to the hardest problems that a company can have. But for this, they need to be enabled to actually grow within their expertise track as much as possible. You mentioned impact. So I'm curious, what indicators, if any, of course, do you use to measure your software team's like performance? I think there is a there is a variety of indicators and metrics that it all starts with people, right? So that's why we uh, regularly look at how firstly happy people are within our teams. This is normally one of the highest correlating factors to how both a software team, but in general, an organization performs. So what we do for this is we send out regular employee pulse checks and look at the engagement score of the organization broken down also by teams. So that's one of the first things that we look at. Then looking at the more classical indicators of teams, performance, and also customer happiness, which I think is also another important angle to look uh, at how well a team is performing. There are sort of different clusters. Firstly, it's the, since we use this concept of mission-based teams, that means that a team is owning a, a piece of the product end-to-end -end and is able to both define its vision and develop it end-to-end. -end. We're looking at the customer happiness associated with this particular piece of product that a team is managing. So there's a metric such as UX satisfaction, right? So you can ask a customer, hey, how do you find experience with this particular feature or part of the product? And also reflect it back to the team. There is a set of metrics on the team level that more correspond to the business as usual metrics, such as performance, quality, reflected in how many bucks have been reported with that particular and um, other 
more engineering metrics. But also another aspect of it, which we started to get more and more into, is this actual uh, engineering performance. And this is uh, all the time a very hard, a very debated sort of question. But we believe that so far what starts to work fairly well to us is to track such metrics such as deployment frequency, right? Such metrics such as change fail percentage or mean time to recover, right? So this is classical set of metrics that are talked about in this Accelerate book, right? So it's a pretty uh, sort of a table stakes book, I think, in quite some teams uh, around how to organize around the classical DevOps metrics and how to run the teams successfully. So that's on the team side. And it all obviously wraps together as the whole mission of the product and engineering department is to build the best-in-class product with more aggregated more lagging, but still very true metrics such as net promoter score, right? And the net promoter score then reflects on, hey, how's the whole uh, department performing against the goal of making our customers happy and productive, right? So overall, those three buckets, uh, I think, of metrics are regularly looked at. And also, yeah, we regularly develop them and uh, challenge them. Yeah, it's a highly debated topic, but I think you have some pretty <laughs> good uh, systems in place for it. Um I'm curious, do you worry that something like deployment frequency might create the wrong incentives for technology teams? I think that is really a question of how do you work with those metrics, right? Because, for instance, what definitely is not allowed to happen is where you translate deployment frequency into individual performance and then create individual performance-based metrics or conclusions out of that. I don't think that this is something that makes successful uh, teams and motivated teams as typically those metrics, they start to sort of game how you actually do a development. I think what really works well for us is looking at those metrics on really the team level and other high level aggregates, right? For instance, as we're growing more than two weeks, right, per year in terms of amount of engineers added, it's then important to track, hey, does your deployment frequency stay approximately um, proportional to the sort of amount of people that get uh, added and onboarded so that your organization doesn't tip over in terms of productivity, right? And that's the type of things that we do also start doing. Also, it's important to look at the trends, right? And that's precise also, I think, that goes in the direction of the example that I made. What's keeping you up at night over the next 12 or so months? Yeah, I think by now we're running a pretty tight ship, <laughs> so it's it's nothing that particularly keeps me up at night. But I can tell you that majority of my time right now I spent with teams working on our replatformification and monolith duplication effort. Right, so we're migrating to the new architecture powered by microservices, and there is a lot of technical discussions happening. We are discussing how we can tackle it effectively as an organization, and that's where I spend probably majority of the time, which is not spent on other business-as-usual topics such as interviewing or one-on-ones and so on. How do you ensure that your team is fully involved and contributing their best to these conversations? Because what usually happens is this, some of the sort of decisions or conversations are just top down. So how do you make sure that your team contributes? Yeah, there's those discussions about technology, strategy, vision, and uh, tactics. They happen on the daily basis on continuously in all kinds of levels uh, at the company, because it's precisely the pattern that we don't want to create where only management sort of thinks about the grand visions, and then those are not rooted into the reality of the team's problems. So there are several things that we do. 
uh, talking about this monolith duplication effort, we have a sort of a task force based setup where engineers get together on the regular basis and work together with our engineering leads across all of the teams to both come up with some of the solutions to architectural challenges that underline the migration, get their experience in and to disseminate uh, the information and the solutions that they actually created, right? And overall, that's the pattern we pursue across a lot of other similar discussions. There are groups of people um, which are working frequently in such units as uh, guilds, right? Across uh, various types uh, of teams that discuss the architecture, architecture and strategy and technology on the regular basis. But those discussions often uh, result into an RFC, a request for comments uh, document, which is then exposed to the whole organization and where people can receive feedback from whichever the stakeholders that they want, that being management stakeholders or uh, their peers across different tribes, across different teams or specialties. And that's how the proposals are normally being discussed and travel from sort of this idea phase to something that can get closer uh, to the implementation, right? So overall happens on all levels and it's uh, typically starts pretty bottom up actually. Absolutely, absolutely. This is one of my favorite questions. So what writer or book has got the greatest influence on your career or just your life uh, and why obviously? I can tell you that Overall, I'm a pretty big book nerd, and uh, I think books are something that I found um, a tremendously helpful guide to to any type of uh, extremely quickly paced uh, growth phase, right? And we've, we've been at it for six years, counting in August also. And uh, there are several books uh, that I've read several times, actually, or reread several times, or sometimes re-listened several times. Two of them I want to make... I want to mention here in particular, first one is a Radical Candor from Kim Scott. Yeah, I think it's a pretty overall well-read and popular book. Uh, for me personally, I think what I really found exciting are those, so she gives a lot of those really great example stories from her times at various uh, stages of uh, development of the teams. And this concept of Radical Candor overall very much ties back into the culture that we are building at Personio and seeing how actually this culture can be operationalized in reality overall made me very inspired. So I came back to this book several times, especially during our performance. Uh, when performance cycle hits, I often case um, uh, take a look at it again to serve as a guidance as to what's the best way to actually structure and formulate the feedback. And you mentioned you had a, a second one. You said ah, two yeah, true. So, so the second one it goes. It's it's a very addresses a similar topic, which is uh, how to give uh, the best possible feedback. And this one is uh, crucial conversations from Carrie Patterson. It's I think there what I found particularly uh, interesting is the in depth guidance towards how to again structure the feedback. Uh, in terms of the purely purely framework-based approach to this, right? Which uh, also I think, especially in the very uh, first phases when we started to scale the team, proved to be, at least for me personally, a tremendously useful tool to really get some of the points across that I wanted to, to get for some of my uh, peers and coworkers. And uh, yeah, overall, those, I think the two books that helped me quite a lot on this journey of, I think you asked in the beginning, uh, of uh, transforming to the, to the founding uh, member to uh, CTO to uh, a CTO now of a pretty sizable org. Yeah. I think that's a perfect uh, note to end on. <laughs> Thank you so much, Arseni. It's been a fascinating conversation. 
same here also super uh was super happy chatting to you it was a great conversation and yeah looking forward for more conversations maybe in the future hey this is guns again if you enjoyed this episode of startup conversations please let us know by leaving an honest review if you'd like to hear more conversations like this one or find out more about the collaboration between SeedTable and CircleCI, visit seedtable.com forward slash conversations. That's all for today. Thanks so much for listening and see you next time. Ciao.